If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, welcome to the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like, just not sports. Happy 4th of July, Sparkle Ponies. We are breaking format this week, uh, A, because we are exhausted. (laughs) I worked the entire July 4th weekend. 20 hours a day. I just got back. Adam's got a big uh got a big program coming up. He's tied up. Uh Gareth might be dead. We don't know. But with me, we do have our producer extraordinaire, Mr. Joe Reed. Joe, how are you? I'm doing great, Brad. Thanks for uh getting this together after a, a crazy holiday weekend for both of us. I think I probably had more fun than you, but um Did you do anything fun? We did. My brother got married this weekend, actually. Ah. It was a big weekend. So lots of family, lots of good food, campfires, drinks, going to the beach. Big wedding? Uh, no, very small. Very small. I, yeah. I like, kind of like the small weddings. We were we were pretty small. We were like 80 people. Oh, yeah. Close circle, chill. Oh, yeah. You get yeah, to see awesome. more people that way. You, you go to a wedding, it's usually you get in a small cluster if it's too big, and no one ever kind of can break out of it. Quality time. That's what it's all about. So it was good. <laughs> it was It was a great weekend. Well, screw you. I worked nonstop, still haven't slept, trying to like defry my brain. But but we're still coming. That's what we're here for. Yeah, we're still we're still coming strong with uh, a rerun, <laughs> if you a, will. Yeah. So here's how this is going to be this week. We've got some new listeners, people who came into the fold, um, who perhaps have not gotten back through the Just Not Sports catalog, through the the canon of our podcast. Uh, um. I don't, what would be the word? The good old days. Yeah, that's a bunch better, <laughs> better way to describe it. So what we're going to do is we're going to play some of our favorite interviews today. So, uh, you know, perhaps you've heard some of these, perhaps you haven't. Um, we're going to start with Shea Serrano, former Grantland writer, New York Times bestselling author. We caught him episode two and talked to him about his new rap book uh, called The Rap Yearbook. And also the the history and evolution and, and best and worst of athlete rap. Uh, one of our most popular interviews to this day. Then we're going to do Bill Bellamy, former MTV VJ, who broke down the history and nuances of the rock and jock b-ball jam. This was an Adam special. Adam, I believe, ran into Bill at an airport and was just like, I host a podcast. Will you come on it? Back when we taped the show in my office uh, in the winter months, uh, that was crazy. A long time ago. Yeah, and Bill was driving around, you know, definitely had some car <laughs> some car noise in the background from time to time, but it was a good time, and I think we had a lot of fun talking about Rock and Jock. And then we'll go to an interview after that with Ed Reed. Speaking of car noise. Yeah, speaking of dudes in cars. Absurdity. Yeah, to, th- this was probably the craziest interview we've ever done. So Gareth had worked with Ed um, when he was doing analyst work at CBS Sports. He has since moved on. Um to the Buffalo Bills, where he's joined their coaching staff. So this might be like one of the last interviews like this with Ed Reed ever before Rex Ryan just kind of shuts him down and, and puts him in a room to watch game film all day. We we talked TV with him. So what do we do? Empire and... Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones for sure. And uh, there was one more. Walking Dead, maybe? Walking Dead. That's right. Oh, yeah. and he's huge into the leftovers. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> No one is huge into the leftovers. <laughs> Unless any of our listeners are, then welcome. 
I only got a couple hours a week. Like if I'm not like all in on something, I mean, I don't even, I didn't watch game of Thrones this season. Oh my God. I know. I haven't even started. All right, whatever. We're moving on, baby. Uh, well, anyway, these three <laughs> interviews are, are a lot I mean, of fun. I mean, you got tons of free time, right, Brad? I mean, you're not doing anything. I know. Just like work and hosting this podcast and uh, raising a daughter and, you know. No big deal. Three hours of commuting a day. I'd say that's when I should be watching it um, during Ooh. my commute. One more 4th of July thing we're going to toss on the barbecue plate here for our listeners is our segment around Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, I, Joe, I don't know if you've heard. He got a new job. He did. Good yeah. for him. Relocation package included. I know. Um, he's going to have, it's pretty, it's tough because it's pretty strong real estate market out in Silicon Valley, but we're hoping that they include um, ample time to go house hunting, potentially temporary housing if, uh, if he needs, if he needs it, you know, to I think his new company will take care of him. Yeah, I'm hope so. I hope so. So anyway, congratulations on the new job. So we thought we'd go back and listen to our segment around <laughs> Thunderstruck, the Kevin Durant movie, now aptly titled since it's named, the whole premise is like around him being a member of the Thunder. They could never make a sequel to this, could they? What would what would a Warriors Thunderstruck sequel be? I don't even know. We may have to talk about that on the show. All right, we'll ideate next episode. Maybe that, that'd be a good Adam uh, Adam project to see like what what script he'd come up with. Yeah. Uh, Gareth would, I don't know what Gareth's movie, it would look like when Salvador Dali made movies, <laughs> you know, just like total art, art house, weird, weird stuff. Anyway, enough banter from us. Um, no hammers this week. We'll save that for next week. We're going to, we're going to get the whole Just Not Sports crew in the room in New York this week. We're going to the, um, Clio Sports Awards. So our goal is to all sit down, tape again together, get the gang back together. It's going to be so awesome. Thanks for being patient the last few weeks. Um, and uh, enjoy, enjoy these uh, these replays, and uh, and stick around. We'll, we'll get right into Shea Serrano talking rap, talking Kobe and Tyra, talking Allen Iverson, Dana Barros. Be right back with that. Our guest today is Shay Serrano. He's been called one of the funniest follows on Twitter. I couldn't agree more. Follow him right now at Shay Serrano, two R's. His latest undertaking is The Rap Yearbook, a series of funny and insightful essays chronicling the most important rap song in every year since 1979. Media have been raving about the book. GQ called it the reading equivalent of rocking a boombox on your shoulder. And the San Antonio Current was even more to the point. They called it funny as shit. This week, the book vaulted all the way up to the New York Times bestseller list, all of which is even more interesting since Shea recently told an interviewer he only got into writing when Target and Walmart wouldn't hire him for a second job, and we can all thank both those outlets for the decision. Today, we're going to break down the book, we're going to talk about the history of rap, and we're also going to examine the complicated connection between athletes and rap music. Shea, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Hey, what's going on, homie? Um, first of all, congrats on the book. The reception to it has just been nothing short of amazing. And I got the feeling watching you interact with social media that it was almost a bit of a bit overwhelming. Can you just describe the emotions as you've sort of seen all of your followers rush to turn this into a bestseller overnight? Yeah, it was it was really, really weird. Like I'm listening to you do go through the intro and say all the stuff that happened. And it's still hard to believe that it actually really happened. It's just like had had I've just spent all my days trying not to cry all the time. That's what it feels like. 
Well, our goal will be to make you cry as much as possible during this interview. <laughs> From laughter. Right. Yeah. Um, the one thing I was going to say, and, and you know, I, I spent time as a reporter, um, so I know kind of the, you know, being on the New York Times bestseller list, I totally understand the power of it. I, it's a, I, I was going to ask you, like, that's something that, like, never leaves you. Like, you're a New York Times bestselling author for life. It's a bit like, you know, a guy becomes an NBA champion. He's, he's a champion for the rest of his days. Like, has that sunk in yet? You know, the, I heard uh, I did a radio interview the day after the news came out that I made the list, and I heard him say it out loud. Somebody else said it out loud for the first time, and it was really like, like, yo, they're gonna say this forever now. I, everything I do, and at first yeah. I was super excited. Oh my god! Every time I do something, they're gonna say. Every time I do I speak at a on a panel or, or go to a book signing, that's how they're gonna introduce me. But then I got real nervous and scared because now, like, everything I do after this, can you do it again? Can you? do this crazy thing that happened, can you make this thing happen? Like, it's just, it's too much, man. It's too many emotions. I'm, t- I'm excited and I'm scared and just, it's, it's crazy. Well, welcome to Seth Curry's world right now. Yeah. Yeah, but once you got that one ring, you got that, you are a champion yeah. forever. You know, Shay, we yeah. also, we also work in social media and um, I, we couldn't help but notice the back and forth with books a million. Can you talk about how that started and just how they ultimately kind of declared surrender? Yeah. So what ended up happening was the, the book company, they send out their copies of the books to everyone. And most people buy books from Amazon. So when I was doing a pre-order, like trying to get people to buy it, I was sending them to Amazon, Amazon, Amazon. And I was, I was actually out in Atlanta and I got a phone call from the publisher, and for for whatever reason, over the course of like two or three days, the book had just started blowing up. We were about a week away from the from the release, and uh, it started to like pick up in sales, pick up in sales. And so, when I was in Atlanta that weekend prior, they called and said, "Yo, Amazon is is out of books. They're gonna run out of books like in the next hour or so. <laughs> so you should start sending people to other places to buy the book." And I said, all right, let me try. You know, I knew Barnes and Nobles that got a bunch of them, so I sent them to Barnes and Noble, and I was trying to push that place. And then, I, like a day later, I was in New York, and I got a call, and they said, yo, Barnes and Noble is out of books. Send them to somewhere else. I'm like, Jesus Christ, we're like, we're, this is the <laughs> dumbest problem to have. These places are running out of books. So the, the last place we knew that had a bunch was Books a Million. You know, a lot of places order books, but they order like twenty or thirty copies or whatever. But Books a Million had a whole bunch of them. Because they're a big chain, I'd never heard of them before. Then uh, you know, I knew Barnes and Noble, I never heard of Books a Million, but they're this big book chain. So I started telling people, "Yo, go to this place, to this place." And I saw they had a Twitter account. I looked on there, and they had like twenty or thirty thousand followers. So I knew if I sent them a message, they were going to see it. So I tagged them in it, like, "Hey, we're coming for you," type of thing. We just killed Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Y'all guys are next. <laughs> and I wouldn't. I was like hoping that they would play back, but not expecting it. And I got a message from them. Like they saw that what we were doing, and they were like, "Okay, let's go." And the, and the, the guy that was in charge of it was uh, I guess he's like a younger guy. He understood what was going on, and so he jumped in and he started like playing back at me, saying, "There's no way you're gonna sell all these copies." Blah blah blah. He was like photoshopping pictures of the guy from Gladiator in front of the bookstore, <laughs> like doing this sort of crazy shit. And so we were just rushing him, rushing. Him. I was, you know, I was pushing like that's all I needed was for him to play back one time, and then I can turn this into a real thing. And so I was just going at them as like hard as I could, like kind of being mean about it as well. And we ended up, it, like I thought it was going to take a couple of days, but 
the people on Twitter were just being goofy, and they're buying like six, seven, eight copies of the book at a time. It ended up taking maybe like two or three hours, and we had bought all the copies of the book, and then also ended up crashing our website. <laughs> and so, like after that is when I thought, "Yo, I think we might we might actually have a chance of getting on this list because we're making a fair amount of noise." And then BuzzFeed did a big story on it, and then like they turned it into a Twitter moments campaign on actual Twitter. It was just crazy to watch man like that's the sort of thing you hope happens but you don't plan for it and when it does you're just sitting there like what the hell <laughs> well when you so backing up to your original plan and clearly you were a fan of hip-hop but what made you dedicate so much time and research to actually putting this book together you know what it what it was was and this is the dumbest thing but my this the book was my editor's idea I didn't. I didn't want to do it. She told me about it. You know, let's do this book. Most important song. Blah blah blah. I said that sounds. That sounds awful. That sounds like a super boring. I don't want to research or read this book about a 1984 rap song. Like, why is that important? I was three years old at the time. Doesn't have any effect on me. And she's like, just, just try it. Like, stop being a dick and just try one chapter. Do one chapter and see what you can do. And so I did a chapter, and it was fun. I like had a good time researching it and reading about it. And I was like. I kind of like this. I kind of don't. Let's maybe find something else. And then my wife was like, yo, we need to move. We had, she had just, we had just had another baby. We had three kids. We were in like a little tiny townhouse. She said, we need a real house now. Like, stop playing around. <laughs> and so then I was like, well, I guess we're going to do this book now because I need this book check to pay for this down payment for the house. And then that's like that's how we ended up with the book. It's the, it's the silliest thing. Well, it's you mentioned the most important. I mean, that's the that's the clear distinction that... I think really becomes the basis for everything you're trying to do. I mean, can you just describe when you decided to do, or, or a little bit more of the rationale behind finding the most important song versus finding the best song in a given year? Yeah. Yeah. So with the most important song, we're, it's easier to argue that a thing is important versus arguing that a thing is the best because the best can mean anything important has a sort of built in definition to it already. I can say, this is the most important song because it caused this type of change in rap or, or it moved the sound in a certain direction or it was bigger than the genre itself. So then you just start looking for songs that did that and it's a lot easier to build a case around around that. So with something like the example that I, that I use is the easiest one to grab is in 1980, Curtis Blow did a song called The Breaks and it was the first rap song that had a chorus in it. And then now, of course, every rap song just about has a chorus in it. Right. So that was the most important song from that year. And we were just looking for songs that did a thing like that. What was the first gangster rap song? What was the first love rap song? What was the song that sort of took the sound from New York and moved it to L.A. or moved it from L.A. to Virginia or from Virginia to Houston? Like, we're looking for those moments. And when you identify them, then, you know, oh, I get it. Okay, that's why this is important. Dude. Shay, was there any fear on your part? Um, you clearly did your research. You analyzed as many songs as possible. But did you ever worry that maybe you would overlook something very obvious? You know, I, I was nervous when we first started to do the book. But a lot of time, I spent a lot, a lot of time putting the list together. And then I also, <clears throat> excuse me, I had a couple of people who I thought were really smart and really tied in with rap and the beginning of rap and then up through now, I had them look over the list 
beforehand, before I started writing the book, and say, just you know, let's vet this list. Does this look right to you? Here's here's what I'm thinking. And I got to go ahead from the people who I put it in front of. So then I felt fine just you know researching the songs after that. It was not a not a problem. But I knew just doing it in general, it's the thing that's going to cause some sort of argument or some people are going to get mad. That's just the nature of the internet, really. I knew as soon as we put the list out there, I was going to get a hundred people telling me why I got it wrong, even though none of them had looked at why that song was right. important. You know, none of them had super a, smart and open-minded. None of them had read the book. Like they that. just they just looked at the list. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. So, so with those people around you advising you, was that the best method for separating your maybe? a personal attachment you had to a song um, versus its actual cultural impact. Cause I think a lot of us, when we think about music, it had an impact on our lives or right. a period we were in. And so like mm-hmm. for me, like hearing outcast in 1994, like that to me was huge. And it's like, I didn't even know there were rappers in the South, but how were you able to right. separate yourself from that idea? Um, and really focusing on what was important to, to rap as a whole. You know what, what I did, what ended up working out the best was for each year, I had a list of like 10 or 15 songs that were big songs that year. Songs that you just, Oh, that year was this song type of thing. And for each of those songs, I tried to explain in just two or three sentences. Like I'm just sitting there at the computer typing out why this song was the most important just you get three sentences tops to explain why this song was important. And if you do it like that, then you can look and it becomes very obvious which ones were important to rap. And then one of them is like, this is a song that I danced to with a girl. Like that's not, you're out of here. That's not a reason (laughs) that this song is important to rap. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, that was a super helpful way. And then again, even when I'm putting that list together, I had different people help me. There's this guy named, named Evan who does, this Tumblr called Up North Trips, which is like a rap history Tumblr. So I'm like, I'm looking for guys like this who I know have sort of expertise in in curating these things. And yeah, so when when you do it like that, it makes it a lot a lot easier to just look at the idea without any sort of structure. You're just like, oh my god, there's no way I can get this right. But once you start to break it down into pieces, it it all starts to fit together and make sense. Was there a year that gave you the most angst or perhaps the you felt like, wow, this is just such a stacked deck for whatever reason that it's going to be really hard to pluck one song out of it? 1994 was really? the only year when I was looking at it like, oh, my God. You had so much stuff in that year. You know, of course, you had Biggie with Juicy. Right. But then you have Nas. You've got, like you mentioned, Outkast. You've got the friggin' Above the Rim soundtrack is better as an album than like 60% of albums that came out this year. Right. Like 1994 was just so goofy and how strong it was. Snoop's uh, Doggy Style came out, I think, in November 93, but the singles weren't coming out until 94. Like that was a year, oh my God, how do I just pick one single song? That was the one year that just, that was a tough one. What, do, do you think, that, so when you, you list those names and you think back to that year specifically, it reminds me a little bit of, all of the rock artists that might have emerged between like 91 and 92, like they were there, but there was a sort of a a cultural change in that they got mass airplay. They were for the first time, maybe exposed to a new generation that was becoming of age to buy records. Do you think that there was something special about that year and that time that allowed it to be such a murderer's row? Or do you think it was just, Hey, right place, right time. Don't overthink it. 
Yeah, I think there was definitely a lot going on um, as far as right place, right time that, that you had. Because rap had already sort of jumped out of there in 88 with Straight Outta Compton when it became like a news story. Oh, my God, rap is a thing. And then by the time 92 came, that's when Dre did the whole G-Funk thing. And he took what essentially was gangster rap and he turned it into this thing that was fun that people could listen to without the existential drama that came along with it. Like, I don't have to think about all of this horrible thing that's happening to all these horrible people. Um, You know what I'm saying? Right. So that happens in 92 and it becomes a fun thing. So by 94 is when we're really getting like these big time superstars who are starting to transcend rap and show up in places that aren't just rap related. So yeah, it was really a right place, right time situation. And you, I just, it's just one of those years, like, like the friggin' 86 or 84 draft where you've got a, just a <laughs> list of hall of famers that, why are they all here at, the, at this time? You know, it's just, you know, hopefully we get another one of those. So I have a, a specific question because, uh, again, I have some personal attachment to certain songs, and I'm not going to be uh, as professional as you are about it. Uh, but Control is one of the best songs I've heard, rap songs I've heard in years, um, particularly because it didn't make the final album. First question, do you think it didn't make the final album because there were legitimate sampling issues or was it because Big Sean didn't want to get beat on his own album? <laughs> oh, big poor Big Sean, man. I felt so bad for him. He was talking about it afterwards. Everyone was going crazy for Kendrick's verse. And I remember reading the interview, and he's like, yo, my verse was pretty good on there, too. And, you know, in fairness to him, it was a pretty good verse. But, yeah, I think there was there was the whole sampling thing. But I think Big Sean just didn't want that that part on his album and big sean's verse yeah, that was a great that was such a fun moment yeah and big sean's verse i mean it was great if you listen to that whole song and then you just got into jay electronica towards the end you would think like big sean killed it but then you have kendrick's <laughs> kendrick's verse which uh i think you said was 550 words but very compact dissed every rapper in the game but in a way of just saying like hey I'm like Michael Jordan. I want to go out on the court and destroy you for for the, for the reason that Kendrick was bold enough to call everyone out and uh, just because of the way he put the lyrics together. Where does that verse rank among hip hop's greatest all time verses? Oh, geez, I can't imagine that you can even fit that one into the top fifty. Oh, that's good. If it's just that's verses from any song of any time, like, oh my god, that's not even a top ten Kendrick verse. Wow, really? Like he's had, you know, yeah, he's had whole songs that are better than just that. That verse was really exciting because he was naming everybody and yeah. who names anybody anymore. But outside of that, you're like, okay, I get it. Like it, that's just how he writes his music. It's all. You can unravel everything he does, and it's got these meanings behind these meanings behind. That's why he's so good, and so that's why he's the best guy right now. But just as far as top rap verses of all time, no, I don't think that that one's going to be very high up there at all. Yeah, so the headline of this is going to be Shea Serrano destroys Kendrick Lamar in podcast interview. Yeah, yeah, no. basically. That's what, <laughs> I'm, that's what I'm, I'm going to get 100, 
hundred tweets about that now. I thought you were writing for Ken. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, I do want to get into athletes and rap quickly, um, but before we do that, w- one question I had was two songs stand out to me that um, I wanted to to flag. One is, did you think about to, like one of the two live crew songs or something that that had the impact in terms of really driving home the parental advisory lyrics? I don't know that it's. I mean, I don't know that those are great songs, clearly, but, the, you know, the, the, when you talk about cultural impact, did you have to weigh something like that? And the other one, the other good example of that would be, I, you know, I know you have Fight the Power in there. I love that chapter of the book. Um, but also by the time I got to Arizona, by the time I get to Arizona, I had so many problematic, controversial things about the video and the depiction of, you know, like sort of uh, rage boiling over into a potential assassination of a public figure. Did you weigh those Examples or maybe other examples of songs that had like really hot in the moment political debate, but necessarily didn't necessarily kind of last long enough. Yeah, you tried to work some of that stuff and I tried to get all of that in there. But with like the two live crew thing, and this is why parts of the book were, were tricky to write. But with the two live crew thing, let's say with with me so horny. Like that came out the same year as Fight the Power, and now you've got to pick only one of those types, right, only one of right. those songs. You know what I'm saying? All that stuff was happening at the same time. Um, I think that was that was '89, and then you had like Faith Ass Up in 1990. Like, there's also this crazy stuff going on all at the same period of time. So, the that was the only reason that a song like that didn't didn't make it in there. Right. Um, that was just an, a better argument for another song. No, I totally get it. And, you know, we've been, for the people listening, like we've been talking about this very seriously. I mean, it's, you do such a great job unpacking and unraveling all these different cultural meanings and discussions and, and, um, and points behind the songs. But what we don't want to obscure is just the, it's a really fun read. Like it's funny as hell in a lot of parts. You have such a great way with your wording. And I know one of the things we do on the show is we break down sort of, um, what athletes do in their side lives, which are, you know, things that we find fun and interesting. And so we didn't, we definitely wanted to talk to you a little bit about the history of athletes and, and rap music, because we've seen a number of them tried out. <laughs> um, it, you know, maybe not as much today as, as back in the day, but just what's your overall feeling when we talk about, athletes and rap over the years? I am 100% a fan of athletes and rap. <laughs> Good. You know, we were talking about 1994 earlier. That was the year that they had that B-Ball's Best Kept Secret. Do you remember that album? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Dana Barrows. How, how old y'all were. Cedric Dana Barrows went so hard on that. Like, like Dana Barrows, oh my, I didn't like him as an NBA player. And then it was his album. And I was like, Dana Barrows my favorite basketball player of all time. Gary Payton had a song on there. Um, was it Malik had a song like yep. like that was crazy in '94? But as far as rappers and 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 athletes go, like I'm all for it. Let's get let's get more of it. You know, I feel like we should have more. The guys who are doing it now are okay using like Damian Lillard or Iman Shumpert, but I want like I want the superstars to do it again. You know, I want to I want a Kawhi Leonard mixtape. That's what I want. <laughs> I'll kill for a Kawhi Leonard mixtape. They allow that in San Antonio. I, no, you're not allowed to rap in San Antonio, so <laughs> it'll, it, it won't happen. I want Tim Duncan. But, um, yeah, that would be a really dope. Um, yeah, I would there, give my life for a Tim Duncan. There was a Tim Duncan, Kobe Bryant Sprite commercial that featured raps about both one. of them. Yeah. I don't know if I'm allowed to do it because of copyright infringement, Which, so I won't. Tim Duncan, I think it's, and it's he ain't fronting. How, uh, Go ahead. Yeah, it, it was it was 
I remember that that commercial. You know, I always thought was was really interesting. If you think about as far as rappers and the in the NBA go, you you have I think almost a like a full team's worth of rappers who have played for the Lakers. Like you could just have you could play five on five and then do like a freestyle battle afterwards with the same guys. And the, and you've got the whole scale of guys on it. Like the best the best hands down rapper basketball player of all time is Shaq. He was actually a really good rapper. I right. think he even sold he had like a platinum selling album. This is in the nineties when everybody had a platinum selling album, but still he gets that tag next to his name. He's the best one. And and like the worst is Kobe. You've got the whole scale <laughs> on there. The, from best to worst. Metal Co- World's Peace. Kobe's the worst. You know, uh Luke Kobe's the worst. Yeah. Of all time. Get him out of here. I was <laughs> of all time. As far as athlete rappers go, put okay. him at the bottom. I would put him below John Cena. Remember John Cena had a, <laughs> Shots had fired. The, like John Cena was rapping. Yeah. Macho Man, like wrestlers had it. Put him under there. Put put Iverson, put Jules above Kobe on that list. You know, I, I just. But, but Shay, Kobe Bryant was on Brian McKnight's Hold Me. How many of these guys got to do a verse on a Brian McKnight song? Come on. He did, and he was and he was really bad on there <laughs> as, as well. He was. He, he did a song with Tyra Banks too, so you know, throw that one. Out. I mean, if we're gonna throw names out there, let's throw all the names out there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Tyra Banks, not known for her singing skills. Uh, let me ask you a quick question about Shaq, and we're coming up to the end of our time with you. So, thank you for giving us so much right now. Uh, at the end of, I know I got skills. He talks about you know, booty rappers stay booty, and I think kind of cycling it back to your book. You know, you talk about like a, a time capsule or a window into a certain year. And, and you know, back then when so many rappers were getting pressure to go more hard or mimic what was happening out of, um, you know, on the, on the West Coast. Can you talk about like where Shaq maybe was caught between two worlds of like the end of the dance party rap scene? And, and he never was going to be able to transition into more of a harder sound because of his overall persona, right? Yeah, yeah. That's the tricky thing as far as, as rappers go with athletes, they can't do all the things that a rapper should be able to do. Like they should be allowed to, to do that. But I think like, Oh, I, but I need to be a spokesman for Sprite. So I'm just not going to be out here killing police officers in my rap song. Like that's just part of the deal, you know? And I, and I guess that's a fair trade. You know, I would, I would give me Shaq salary and I'm gonna rap about whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So many athletes talk or so many rappers talk about like how much they have. I mean, Shaq doesn't even have to say it. It's just, people, we can read his contract terms. <laughs> you know, yeah, just, I own 25 burger yeah, kings. Right. Well, Hey, Shay, to close things out, you know, one of the segments of the show we're doing with people is, you know, we know athletes have to go through those annoying, like aptitude tests, the Wonderlick exams when they go to the combine and stuff. So <laughs> we wanted to test your general knowledge. So we want to give you, if, if you don't oh, mind no. five, Five questions about the intersection between rap and sports. Shay, are you ready? I'm not, but I guess we're going to do it. <laughs> come, come on. All right, Adam, take it away. All right. You're a big Spurs fan, obviously. Uh, which San Antonio yeah. Spurs player appears in the MC Hammer rap video for Too Legit to Quit? David Robinson. Yes. Yes. One for one. Yeah, I knew that. I knew that one. I have a David Robinson jacket that I'm wearing right now. <laughs> nice. Nicely timed. I All met right. David Robinson in Aspen, Colorado. My dad is six eight, so for him to look up to someone who's seven foot, uh impressive moment in my life. Which of these titles <laughs> He's a big guy. He is. And and trim. Which of these titles was the name of Shaq Shaquille O'Neal's First rap album in 1993. Now, we could give you multiple choice, or you can just go 
outright win? Uh, I think I know, but let's go multiple choice. Is it Shaq Diesel or Shaq Fu? For nine, oh no, I don't know. Wait, nineteen ninety three. Shaq Diesel. Shaq Fu is the video game. Yes, yes. and the, the follow up to Shaq Diesel was called Shaq Fu to Return. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. See, I'm on it. I'm two good. for two, two for two, three more. All right, quickly. Which member of the U.S. men's soccer team has recorded rap songs under the alias Deuce? Clinton Dempsey. Three for three. What current NBA? Oh, shout out Houston. <laughs> That's right. What current NBA head coach once released a rap song called What the Kid Did? <laughs> Greg Popovich. Uh, that would be Jason Kidd. Is that right? No, Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd. I just was fixing Greg Popovich rap. <laughs> uh, it would be short. It would be a short rap. A couple bars. Uh, name either of the two NBA teams that Master P played for. All right, this is the final question. The Hornets. Yes. Yes. And we'll give you oh, one. Boom. And yeah. you've already answered this. We had this, but for a bonus question. What model sang on Kobe Bryant's debut song, K-O-B-E? <laughs> See? I knew it. Good old Tyra. Tyra's everywhere. Uh, she, was tied to, she was tied to Weber. Weber was a rapper, too. I encourage Brad to take it easy on you on these. Clearly, we should have went to the advanced uh, the uh, advanced course classes. I don't you. know, but something tells me someone who wrote a book called The Rap Yearbook, The Most Important Rap Songs from Every Year Since 1975. <laughs> um uh, is going to get whatever. So Shay, thank you so much for joining us. The uh, conversation was amazing. Uh, you're such a good sport for coming on even before we really kind of launched the podcast. Um, people can get your book on um, iTunes, Amazon, um, at retailers. It may be sold out wherever, but keep going online and keep trying to find the book. It's well worth the read. We love it. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Shay. All right. Thanks, homie. Our guest today is Bill Bellamy. Bill has always been among Hollywood's most versatile performers. He's a stand-up comedian, an actor, he's been a TV host, and of course, many of our listeners first met him during his time as one of MTV's most charismatic and talented VJs. During Bill's time on MTV, he had a first-hand role in one of our all-time favorite things, the rock and jock b-ball jam. These were epic games that brought together Hollywood stars and professional athletes in ways that we think not only brought us closer to the stars themselves, but very much influenced sports and entertainment coverage for a generation to come. Bill, right off the bat, before we get into Rock and Jock, I just I really do want to ask you, in prepping for this, you are internationally credited credited with creating the term booty call. Is that something you take credit for and is that accurate? It is accurate and I do take credit for it. You know, it's really one of those um funny moments in comedy history where you you do a joke. And it's so catchy and, you know, people like it and they, they repeat it to somebody else. And now, you know, booty call is just a part of our language. But it all started from that one joke in 1992 on Def Comedy Jam where I was just going for broke young comic trying to get on. <laughs> don't you don't you think that Tinder owes you royalties for creating yes. yeah, the Tinder, term booty Tinder, call? Tinder is really biting off. 
They're really biting off your boy right there. <laughs> we, we're going to call. They're making it all easy now. You got to swipe it and stuff. I mean, back in the day, you had to make the effort. You had to actually call and get rejected. Now you just swipe to the left, swipe to the right. Wow. I mean, maybe back then you would get a page and then you would reach into your page. pocket. Yeah, page. I had a $7 per month pager and in high school right. that I would then reach into my pocket, get out the change in my pocket, and walk to a pay phone. Uh, those days are long gone, my friend. You had a pager for real? I had Bill? a pager in high school, yeah. Bill, did you have a pager? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, everybody had a pager in the 90s. That was like your way to be, you know, be a player. That was a way to be incognito and be unattainable. You know, you call my pager, I get back to you. You want to be the person that no one can reach. You want to be the one who who decides. Right, what, what right. To let you in. want to be. You want to be a little a little mysterious. You know, hit this number and I'll call you back, baby. But I found the technology technology hasn't changed that much because now, before it was like, oh, I, I I never got your page, and now it's uh, I don't know what you're talking about. I never saw that text. So yeah, right. Things change. Right. Things <laughs> things change, but they don't. Bill, I answer right. every text with new number, who this? <laughs> so that's that's what I do. Right. Um, that's Bill, awesome. New phone, who is this? Yeah. So in the 90s, um, you mentioned, you know, pagers, all this other stuff. It's fun and nostalgic to look back. That's kind of what we want to talk about with the rock and jock, because I think this is a very special sort of category of sports meets entertainment and pop culture, and you were at the epicenter of it. How many games did you play in, or, or and how often do people ask you about the rock and jock? Well, I played in most of them. Um, well, Dan and Dan Cortez and myself, we were just sort of like the yin and the yang of that. You know what I'm saying? He was always representing one side. I was representing the other side. And we both like alpha males talking. Sh- I mean, we were literally just talking shit the whole time, having fun. And we didn't know it was going to catch on because people liked us talking snaps about each other. And, you know, he had his celebrity friends. I had my celebrity friends. And we had our teams. And what I thought, was really great about Rock and Jock was it was able, it was an ability for not only us as VJs to meet our stars, but for the fans who liked MTV, they got a chance to see the personalities of Derek Jeter or, you know, Alex Rodriguez or, you know, Ken Griffey Jr. or Gary Payton or Kevin Garnett, you know, Buster Rhymes and Justin Timberlake, like all these guys were a part of that, man. And it was so fun because they they got to be real people and have fun like everybody else. And I thought that came across. You mentioned Dan Cortez. In 1993, I broke this down on YouTube, you crossed him over so bad that all he could do was legit tackle you. And you looked really, you looked pretty <laughs> bothered by that, man. Can you break down that moment? <laughs> Well, it was it was just one of those things that I think Dan wasn't really ready for. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, I think it was just going to be too embarrassing for him to bear the fact that he got caught in the Matrix. So he basically, you know, tackled me, which <laughs> I thought was like, the Matrix. like, come on, man, just take it. Take it like a man. You know, you ain't got to tackle me. I'm already by you already. You know what I mean? But it wasn't no hard feelings, but I was just like, that is so, like, lame, man. 
But I mean, that crossover, that's before Iverson. So technically, you taught Iverson that move is what you're saying. Well, no, no, I'm just saying mine was a little, mine was a rock and jock crossover. Yeah, I had the real deal. <laughs> what, what was your signature move and what's the best move you ever saw in rock and jock? Well, there was a lot of signature moves. I was always throwing like, you know, really good passes, no look passes to people. But I want to say one of the best rock and jock moments was when Gary Payton had like 175 points. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was absolutely stupid because he was uh he had a seventy five points on our team and then at halftime he switched teams because we was winning so much and right. he scored. He figured out he figured out how to get that thirty five point shot or whatever it was. He figured out how to get that thing in there and nobody could do it. He hit like six of them. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that just speaks to the the crazy nature of the game and what I thought made it so brilliant for, as entertainment. Because a lot of the MTV audience at that age was really still tuning in for the music and for access to the musical artists. And so you had this game that had to be different to, to retain their attention. So there were 25-point shots, there were 50-point shots, players traded teams. And Bill, I, I felt like in watching the old footage, you like you said, you and Dan were sort of like the ringleaders of a lot of the, you know not just the basketball, but like driving the entertainment and making it a, a, like a, a really interesting watch. Can you talk about the role you played as a comedian, knowing how to go beyond basketball and make it a little bit more of a spectacle? Yeah, well, we really, at the end of the day, it was a show, you know, it was right. more than a game, you know, it was a show. So we had to have a beginning, middle, and the end, and we needed to have performances, and we needed to have a bunch of laughter to drive the train, and, you know, the the best thing, the best thing was the conflict or sort of the, uh, you know, sort of the, you know, you know, us versus them thing, the violators versus the regulators, whole vibe of us trying to win this year, last year, you know, you guys won and we got our, you know, we're amped up, I'm loaded, I got all my guys and we just hyped it up so crazy that it was so fun to see, you know, Snoop Dogg out there and, you know, uh, Coolio. I mean, we had everybody. So my favorite rock and jock moment was when uh, Sean Kemp attempting towards the end of the game to take the ball down court. Queen Latifah strips him of the ball, goes three-quarters court. I'm trying to remember that. I kind of remember that. (laughs) Yeah, she goes three-quarters court and scores the layup. Now, it looked to me... Like maybe Sean almost handed it over to Queen Latifah. Can you verify that's true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know he let her do that. Are you crazy? That's the rain, man. <laughs> <laughs> there's, no, there's no question about it. No ifs, ands, or buts. He definitely. But that was the entertainment part of it. That's why I'm going back to that. That's what made it fun because we did moments like that that people really enjoyed, you know, taking the ball from Sean Kemp. I mean, you know. That's what it, it was almost like the Harlem Globetrotters. You know what I mean? Yeah, Bill, that said, you had some good moments on the court. I mean, I remember one game you opened up hitting a deep three. Like, do you remember, was there a moment in the game that you felt like, damn, I nailed that. Like, I looked good on television with that move. Yeah, I, you know, I play basketball. So, like, for me, it was, um, 
a way for me to actually not only show my skills, but also do to have fun with the guys that I admire anyway. Like I got a chance to play, you know, with some of the best NBA players from Penny Hardaway to Gary Payton to Sean Kim to uh, um, Mark Jackson. You know what I'm saying? I got played with these guys when they were really, really solid athletes. Too. So, you know, I, I lived, I lived out a real cool dream with that too. That was kind of fun. I mean, you seemed like you were having fun. There were some guys like Marky Mark who just looked like they were trying real hard to show that they were more than just, you know, dancers. Who who took it too seriously, Bill? You could tell, like, Marky, Mark Wahlberg was really trying real, real hard. Yeah. You know, Michael Rappaport. Michael <laughs> Rappaport trying real hard. <laughs> he talked a lot of trash, Probably. too. Oh, he's the best trash talker the worst athlete known to man. He still does. Uh, fantasy football is his gig now and on his podcast. Oh, I, love, I love Michael Rappaport. Yeah. But he's got to be the worst athlete known to man. Like, <laughs> it's just absolutely, it's absolutely comical what he can't do. Who's, who surprised you as being a good athlete? No. We know who was actually shocked me. I want to say Justin Timberlake. You know, I didn't know that he could play and dribble and had pretty good handles and control of the ball. I thought that was actually pretty cool. Um, uh, what about Leonardo DiCaprio? Uh, no. <laughs> no. Yeah, stay, 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 with, stay with the movies. Nah. <laughs> I was talking about like to see like a guy like Ken Griffey Jr., who's a baseball player, play basketball. I thought that was excellent. Oh, there you go. Because you you just think you you just think of one thing when you, then you feel like oh these dudes probably played multiple sports in high school. What about Urkel? I think Jaleel White was out to prove that he was not the nerd next door. Do you remember him? Yeah, yeah, he was playing like he was Stefan. That's for sure. <laughs> you talk about all these great celebrities in one room together. So inevitably, the question is the after party, Bill. Yes. Your nemesis, Dan Cortez, uh, said in the Complex article that he was not allowed to tell that those stories. Now, Bill, I have bought How to Be a Player on DVD as well as Any Given Sunday. I've watched all your comedy <clears throat> specials. I ask you as a favor, can you please tell us one after party story? Well, I, I think back then what was absolutely cool was there was no social media. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so if you had an opportunity to hook up with somebody, it was not on TMZ, bro. So back then, I think there was a lot of collaboration. You know what I'm saying? There was a lot of hot young actresses and hot athletes. And, you know, once that liquor got involved. I think there was a lot of hookups, actually. I'll be honest with you. I, I don't know verbatim one that happened, but I do remember a lot of dudes was trying to holler at Pam, Pam Anderson. I do remember that. One. She was on fire fresh. She's right off of Baywatch right then. Yeah, in your Complex article, I believe the phrase was fresh out of the water. Um, so I have, yeah. I would like you, so celebrity moments, you saw Pamela Anderson in person in a non-sports related event in a, in an interview with Janet Jackson. Uh, she gave you a big hug and a kiss on the cheek. Better moment, Pam Anderson at Rock and Jock or the embrace from Janet Jackson. 
I think the Janet Jackson was really epic because I wasn't expecting that kind of move from her. You know, I was just meeting her at the time, and I didn't know that she was really, really a fan of mine at that time. So it was really, you know, innocent and sort of like, wow, you know, I wasn't ready. <laughs> you know, I wasn't in my how to be a player mode in that moment because I was kind of caught off guard. She just... <laughs> you know, laid up on my chest and everything on TV. I was like, oh, my God. If you look at the, if you look at the video, you see my face go, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Man. It was actually pretty cool. Bill, we, we've heard you and Dan have talked over the years about maybe bringing this back. I kind of feel like this is one of those generational things where if it was rebooted today, it probably would succeed because you'd have a whole new audience that's kind of seeing this in a new way. Where are those conversations? Do you think it has a chance to come back? And and Bill, can we help you? We we want this back too. <laughs> I think we I think we are we in the process of it. Dan and I have been working on it and figuring out how to make it work. I think it is absolutely uh, you know a doable situation. I think that that is missing in the entertainment, sports sort of pop culture world, bringing everybody together for a good time for a great party. I think in 2016, we're going to try to get it done. ESPN asked us about it as well. And it's, it's a fun part and a fun part of like all of our youth. And I just think it would be dope to bring it back in a great way and then and, and have the new generation have something like we did to, to look forward to. I think it'd be dope. Just like Tiffany Amber Thiessen, I will serve as your manager on the sideline without even having to play. Bro. Oh, just nice point. Not even a problem. <laughs> just bring her back, too. All right, so you've got us a lot of time. We're going to wrap up quickly. Uh, just to, to end, we're going to do a little match game here. Sports analysts always make comparisons between players and players. You know, oh, um, you know, Kristaps Porzingis reminds you of Dirk Nowitzki or whatever. We want to give you some celebrity names, and you tell us, if, you, if it's okay, what NBA player do they resemble on the court? Okay. All right, so Adam's going to take it away. Ready? Here we go. Number one. Dan Cortez, who is his NBA equivalent? Uh, Steve Kerr. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Wahlberg. You know, Mark Wahlberg. Uh, who would be Mark Wahlberg? I would say Mark Wahlberg would be like, you know who he'd be like? He'd be like my man uh, 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 that plays for Cleveland, uh, the the. The Bovich. Della Vadova? Matthew because he's scrappy. <laughs> you, you By scrappy, you mean dirty. Yeah, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah, and Bill, you had, to, you had to better be on Mark Wahlberg's shorts. He is wearing longer shorts than Jalen Rose was allowed to wear in college. How did that happen? I know. That was back in the day, man. You could do that, bro. You'd probably be embarrassed to look at it now, but that's what it was. Yeah. All right, uh, a few more. Flea. Flea would have to be Bozy, Bugsy Mogues because he was so little. Yeah. <laughs> Flavor Flav. Uh, there's no NBA player for Flavor Flav. That's just, a, <laughs> that's just a disaster. Just say mascot. He did, he did block a shot with a hockey stick in one game. That is a true story. <laughs> I saw that on YouTube. Uh, oh, my God. Uh, it I was mean- a miracle. I mentioned it before. You said stick to the movies, but Leo DiCaprio. I don't know. 
he'd be like Luke Walton. You know, he was in the NBA, but it really wasn't that crazy. No. Luke Walton uh, doing an excellent job as interim head coach of the Golden yes. State Warriors, so right. we'll take that as, as a compliment. A, oh, but as a basketball player, <laughs> does he have any highlights? Uh, no. No, no, sir. Uh, Queen Latifah. No, sir. Queen Latifah would be like, uh, I'm going to say that Carmelo, the mailman, powerful. Oh, oh. good one. Uh, Michael Rappaport. He would have to be uh, a commentator, not not a basketball player. I have to do, who's my man that wears the crazy jackets? Craig Sager. Crazy on TNT. <laughs> Craig Sager. Yeah, Sager. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> I was going to say Rick Mahorn. Who also played in a lot of these games, nah, too. Nah, 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 nah. At least Rick could play. That's, yeah, that's true. And finally, Bill Bellamy. Bill Bellamy, I want to say my game, if you're going to go old school, I'm going to say Penny Hardaway. Uh-oh. If you're going to say compare my game to somebody that uh, from this era, I would say D-Wade. Like it. Okay. I like I like Penny Hardaway. You had the you kind of filled out a uniform just like Penny did. Um, you guys had the same. You know what I mean? I was when when the commercials was out for a minute. I was Anthony Hardaway for about two summers when they had the little Penny doll. Everybody <laughs> thought I was Penny. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bill, this has been great. We we love your work as as Adam said. Um, you know, clearly not just the rock and jock, but. Uh, love your stand-up, love your roles in movies. I think people can follow you on Twitter, at Bill Bellamy. They should follow you on Instagram as well, also at Bill Bellamy. And we just can't thank you enough for coming on and, and making time to, to relive some of these great memories. And, Bill, we'd like to have you back to talk. We could do a full show on any given Sunday and who the best true athlete was on that cast. So please join us again. Oh, yeah, that'll be, oh, that'll be hot. We'll do that on the next one. That'll be hot. All right, sounds good. <laughs> That's perfect. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Joining us on the show right now is Ed Reed. As a lifelong Bengals fan, few players broke my heart more consistently than Ed. For a decade with the Ravens, Ed always seemed to come up with a big interception or game-clinching hit for Baltimore and always against my Bengals. But he was a great player, and we all enjoy watching great players. He was a nine-time Pro Bowler, a five-time first-team All-Pro, and he won both an NCAA title with Miami and a Super Bowl with the Ravens. He's now joining the coaching staff of the Buffalo Bills, so before all of his free time is spent watching game film every night, every hour, Ed, we wanted to talk to you about your uh, passion for some prestige television, everything from Empire to Walking Dead to Game of Thrones. So... Ed, thank you so much for being here. And uh, what's on your DVR tonight? What do you got queued up? No problem, man. Tonight I don't have anything queued up, honestly, man. Um, you know, I've been trying to get myself together to, to move up to Buffalo. And, you know, um, I'm, I've been watching a lot of basketball as of lately, man. Anytime football is over, you know, basketball takes over. You know, I've been, I've been really following – you know, go to state a little bit, you know, and just seeing what was going on, tracking the trades and see if, you know, anything interesting was going to happen. You know, but for the most part, just watching basketball games, college basketball as well. You know, last, uh, what that, two nights ago I was watching, what was that last night? Watching Miami play against um, against Virginia. <laughs> and uh, it was crazy because my son's mother went to Virginia. So, 
a little funny in the house last night. Well, let's let's start by talking about some specific shows. So we know you're a big fan of Empire. I'm just curious, like, what is it about that show that helped it become such a cultural um, phenomenon? Really, like from the from the first episode, we saw people dive right in and just start consuming it. They blew up Twitter about it. What do you think is the biggest draw? What what draws you to the show? Um, probably just the hip hop factor to it. You know, the fact that, you know, it's got a music music background to it. You know, I love music, you know, and um that was the most intriguing part about it. And of course, you know, Cookie and um my man uh, Terrence Howard, you know, um you know, they their characters, you know, I've always kind of followed them uh, from um what was the movie they made? Uh, Hustle and Flow. Right. You know, they, they always, they seem to work good together, you know, and um, so th- them two there, I like them as actors, you know, so I kind of follow them, you know, in that that, that aspect of um, Empire, you know, and um, like I said, the movie part of it, you know, how you not like Cookie though, man? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm uh, beyond just the entertainment factor, Ed, uh, I think it's uh-huh. I think it's been really culturally significant to see an all African American cast um, with the hip hop theme show mm-hmm. uh, achieve such high ratings. I mean, mm-hmm. you can talk about shows throughout yep. history like the Cosby Show, but if we had known what Cliff Huxtable was doing with his prescription pad, maybe uh, they would have canceled that one sooner. But uh, <laughs> besides that. <laughs> Uh, how significant do you think it is culturally um, that that you have a, a African American cast with a hip hop theme show? I think it's big. You know, I think it's big. But you know, the world is more diverse these days. You know, I mean, and we we as a culture need to start to get past you know just one race. You know, we need to learn to live together. You know, and I think that helps that because you just, you don't have just, I mean, African-Americans on there, of course not, but, you know, we need to start working together. And I and I think with having that, it's starting to understand that you put, you put us in leadership roles, that we can do it just as well as anybody else, you know. And um, I think a lot of people has gravitated to it, like you said, not just black people, white people. You know, everybody's kind of gravitating to that show because it's so entertaining. And it does, um, I think the last couple episodes, you know, it really grabbed hold to a lot of issues that was going on in the world. And that's something that you don't see on TV as much as see stars do. You know, it's good that you can, you know, you can take your your platform and, and use it, you know, to bring attention to what's going on in our society. Yeah, Ed Garrett's here. You know, it's interesting to hear uh, you talk about this. This is obviously something we've talked about with some of the stuff that we've aired before. And how do you uh, represent a society when it's something that, I don't know if your son's watching this show with you, but we talked about with some football stuff. No, you know. not. <laughs> Yeah, 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 exactly. But, you know, like the stuff that you say, like, I'm sitting there watching this with my son, you know, it it, it becomes more about, I think you put it well, it's more about, look, this is what the world is like, and TV should reflect the state of our world more. That's 
as opposed to uh, a specific agenda or anything like that. Yeah. So. Hey, you're watching like watching the news show, a certain news, you know, show. Um, you know, they might just stick to certain things to show you certain stuff. That's you know, it's, it's more to that. It's like football, for instance, uh, ESPN, one of them shows that, you know, they only they don't show the guys in the in the um, community doing their foundation work, you know, until something bad happens and then you hear, well, this guy's a good guy. You know, he just had this one moment. You know, we all make mistakes, mm. you know, but we we might have that. We, we, we do so much good stuff throughout the year, you know, to where it be that one time we make a mistake. We just we just hang a person, so to say, just 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 go all out and just they're bad people. That's not the case. We all make mistakes. None of us are perfect. None of us are yeah. perfect. None of us are immune to what happens in this world. You know, there's only one perfect being, and we all know who that is. So, you know, it would just I don't know. It, just, it helps us grow, man. It does help us grow, and it brings a lot of information in. But we we also got to be mindful that we are raising kids. And the kids are our future. And I feel like, you know, we as a community in our country kind of forgotten about that, man, in a certain instance. So, Ed, Ed, you're a Super Bowl champion. You're a a celebrity. You're going to be in the Hall of Fame. How come when you're watching a show and you like it, you don't immediately call your agent and say, I'm going to be in a cameo on this show tomorrow. Get that done. Because I feel like (laughs) you should be on whatever show you want to be on, man. That's what I'd be doing. I feel like that too, and honestly, I I went to L.A. and I with W.E. Uh, you know, I have I have people who I've talked to about making a movie or being in a movie. I actually got a call a day from somebody who works in that industry to try to get me to read some scripts, and I'm like, dude, I'm about to go coach. You know, I can't be there Friday or next Friday. You know, so I've I've actually did some readings. You know, I'm at Tyler Perry Studios. You know, um, so. I mean, I would love to do it. It's, it's something I had a passion for growing up as a kid. I used to, I'd be a, I, I was a much more movie guru than I am now. I watch a lot more um, TV than, you know, than I do now, you know. But, I mean, sometimes that's just not your world. You know, it might not be your gift. You know, God gives us different gifts, you know, and mine is definitely in football, and I know that, you know. So I, I tend to stick around it. Did you just I don't know, people I, I hear your son laughing in the background. You're a guy with a big amount of personality. Don't be too modest. Like, that, that's crazy that that was, that was not planned. And I don't even know if he's laughing at me, but, you know, it was not time. So, I mean, God don't make mistakes, man. You know, so, I mean, I would love to do it. I definitely wouldn't shy away from it. I wouldn't turn it down. You know, I would love to learn that craft. You know, um, I've talked to people in that industry plenty of times, so I would definitely love to learn that craft, man. It wouldn't shy away from doing the cameo. You know, I've told people to call me, man. I'd be a bus driver. You know, how you make all these, how you make, how you making all these sports movies and don't have an athlete doing it. You know, I don't yeah. get that. And I want to make a football movie, a real football movie. You know, we need another football movie right now. You know, we need to go old school. You know, like Wildcats. You know, something like that. <laughs> well, Ed, not to make this competitive, but your old rival, Heinz Ward, did have a cameo on The Walking Dead, my friend. He played a zombie. It's not, I talked to Heinz about it. It's not that hard to put on makeup for the day and just walk around and grunt, man. I think we got to get this done. Man, I would definitely do Walking Dead. I, man, that's my show. You know, I, I, I watched that one a whole lot. I would do Game of Thrones, man, be one of the Night Walkers. 
Yeah, that would be great. Oh, man, I, I love it, man. We're gonna I tweet. It, we're tweeting George R. R. Martin right now. Yeah, we're gonna tweet George R. R. Martin right now on that. <laughs> I, so we want to break both these shows down with you. Walking Dead. Do you find the show scary? Because I think a lot of people that I talk to that really, really like the show, they love the gore. They're scared by the zombies. Do Do you find it scary like a horror film, or do you just watch for the drama and the human element? Um, I think it's a little bit of all of that in it, but it's not like a like an old school horror flick. You know, it's not like that. Though they have those points when the when the zombie might jump out on the camera real fast or something like that. You know, but it's not like horror. I, I wouldn't call it that. You know, you have some gruesome parts when there's blood and everything. You know, but I, I wouldn't say horror. I would I wouldn't say that. Hey Ed. I've never seen a single episode of, of Walking Dead, uh, and I genuinely don't enjoy being scared. Uh, life is scary enough sometimes. Sell me on The Walking Dead and why I should watch yeah. it. Man, you should watch it because, you know, it has some. It has a lot of, of, of aspects of working together, you know, and, and, and going through tough situations in life. You know, I mean, and, and for what you don't know what's to come, in our world, you know, it, it, it enlightens you on things, you know, and it brings conversation, to, you know, at work when, when some of your, your coworkers have watched it, you know, it, it, it brings some camaraderie to, to what you do, you know, I think, you know, I mean, I know some guys who, who watched it when I was playing, you know, and it'd be interesting, you know, you, you, you might, you might find a young lady that you take out, you know, instead of having your phone and tweeting and texting and Facebooking, Y'all sitting there having a moment about Walking Dead, you know? It, it, it might get you a date or two. <laughs> you know Nothing says so sexy got, like zombies and eating brains and rotten flesh. I'm telling you, man, it's a turn on. It's a turn on to some women, man. <laughs> <laughs> so watch this you- episode. <laughs> Don't be like that guy on the all uh, commercial, you know, who who haven't seen football all Sunday and now he's got to get the ticket, you know. I, I well, get... Walking Dead is the only thing on television that can compete with football as far as ratings go. Is that right? Like that's all. That's what people want. Wow. Yeah, man. That that is the only show that uh, can compete. And honestly, like I have vivid memories when it first premiered. Is when my daughter was first born, and I would stay up all night holding a screaming newborn, watching like the most graphic wow. zombie show. You know, that's... see, I like it. <clears throat> I like it. I like it because, you know, I grew up watching Return of the Living Dead. I don't know if you remember. It was a comedy like, though. Uh, yeah. Return of the Living Dead was more like a comedy. It was the one where Michael Jackson was in it at the end. They had a zombie look like Michael Jackson come on there and do like a move. <laughs> and he sponsored, then he like electrocuted himself and kind of fell out. You know, so, <laughs> you know, I, that's why I watch it, man. I, I've been a fan of, of those type of movies and series for a long time, you know, and it's, it's, it's something to do. You know, like I say, it has a lot more storyline to it that you can enjoy, man. Well, I do watch Definitely. Game of Thrones. Yeah, Game of Thrones is big in the Burke House or two, or it was for a show. while. Who are you rooting for in that show? Who do you want to see on the Iron Throne, Ed? Oh, man. I don't know, man. Uh, that's that's crazy, man. The, the, the Lavisters, like, they're not giving it up, dude. I don't know, <laughs> man. You know, and uh, what, what's, what's my guy name? Um, uh, what's my guy name? Um, it's going to come to me. He's John, working with... Um, John Snow? 
he's working with uh now John Snow is my dude too. I love his family. I can't believe how his family got, you know, done with, man. That was just crazy. And his sister well, gotta John get Snow back dead. in there. Is he I dead? Mean, no. Yeah. I don't think so. No, he's back. He's back for this. That's been confirmed now. Are we sure? Yes. Because I had to go through Brody dying in Homeland, and he never came back. I don't think I can go through that again. Uh, Don't get me started on a Homeland. I'm not a fan. Not a fan. Show went way downhill after season one. Tywin Tywin Lannister? Yeah, Tywin Lannister is who you're thinking. Or no, Tyrion Lannister. The the Peter Dinklage character. Tyrion, the little guy. Yeah. Uh, Peter Dinklage. Yeah, that's my guy right there. Yeah. Yeah, that's my dude right there. He needs to be running everything. <laughs> I, I, I agree, man. I agree. I think his character, and he had a nice run, like right up to that big battle where he got knocked out and his dad came back. Just you never, you never trust a leader with daddy issues, Ed. You know, you, they don't, they don't hold up, man. <laughs> that's true. Is him and my girl gonna get together? Who he's working for now? Like, <laughs> I'm gonna be his main boo. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. Uh, Khaleesi, the I Queen of Dragons? Or? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I can see him trying to get with her, So dude. speaking of which, uh, <laughs> Amelia, Amelia Clark plays Khaleesi. Um, a really important uh, subject I wanted to bring up, but um, Ed, she has refused to do any more naked scenes, and this really worries me. Your thoughts? <laughs> what? Why would she do that? I can't <laughs> believe that. I heard that. A while back, I heard that. I mean, you know, some people, once they get to certain status, they're too big for roles and all that. Man, come on, Khaleesi. It's like You're the a bad woman. Got an awesome freaking body, you know, not lusting over you or nothing like that, you know what I mean? But, you know, get the people what they want. I mean, I feel like <laughs> I feel like she was, a, she was a promising rookie, then she signed that long-term contract, and then – wasn't performing That's like what she it was. used to. Now you got you know? too big. You got the big, right, you got a big hit. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now we got to write you off, you know. <laughs> they got to write her off. Don't give you that much of a role. And, you and, know, I remember when she got out of that hot water. When she got out of that hot water, I was like, geez, um, how old is she in real life? <laughs> Amen, sir. And, Ed, what's your favorite death on the show? The the show makes so many headlines for like killing off their major characters. What's what's the one moment that kind of stood out to you as like where you just jumped off the couch and were like, oh damn, what just what just happened? When they killed uh, my man, the the first um, Josh knows that all them. Oh yeah, what's his name? Sean Bean's character. Uh, man, uh, I, man, yeah. I, that hurt me, man. That hurt me. Ned Stark? That hurt me. Ned, I'm like, he's got to come yeah, back, Stark. right? Ned, Ned yep. Stark. Ned, Ned Stark. Ned Stark. Ned Stark. Ned Stark's dead. Man, that hurt me. Ed, I'm not calling you out, man, but you got a lot of guys on the show. You're like, that's my guy. That's my guy. I feel like you're playing both sides. You're playing all the sides, man. <laughs> I'm not, but it's like certain people. You didn't, hear me, you didn't hear me name none of the Lannisters outside of Tyrant. That's cool. Yeah, you know what right. I'm saying? Brian, I like the Stark's family. I do. Ed, were you a fan of The Wire at all? And I'm asking for a specific reason. I was, yeah, man. What I do you was think a big is fan of The Wire? What do you? Which also uh, show, to me, The Wire versus me. Game of Thrones. Which set of Ooh. characters is more tough to memorize? Because I feel like watching The Wire, we did the same oh, thing. Like, oh, you know, 
Not no, I'm not about the to head drug the dealer, the side. It'll be the same. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, it's about the same. It's about the same, unless you just, you know, you just, I don't know, just remember. I don't know too many people just to remember it right off, off back like that, man. They all go the same because there's so many people, you know, and that, but it, it has the same effect as you can see. <laughs> my strategy for watching, my strategy for watching The Wire the second time around was to watch the episode and then go on Wikipedia and read the episode recap uh-huh. just so you can connect the names with what just happened. But even then, I've now forgotten all right. of them. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I've got all the whole series, man, and it's tough. It's tough to remember them all. It really is. Well, see, the, to me, the thing with The Wire was all the characters was, uh, it was like broken up into a season. So you could, a lot of them you could wrap up. Like the second season on the docks, you know you're done with those dudes. With Game of Thrones, it all bleeds into each other. And I honestly feel like, to your point, Adam, we should watch it with, like, a family tree next to us. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know. It's, it's easy to remember when it's on, definitely. Like, if we've been to saw the series, like, two, three weeks into it, we could come, we could mm-hmm. probably spit the names out like that, you know? Like, it's been off for a while, which I hate. I hate the fact that it's <laughs> in on the episode, and you're like, what, what's going to happen? You know, they'll give you nothing. It should be year round. <laughs> it should never stop. All right. Ed. Well, to go to the end of last year, I got to ask one question before we move on. With the White Walkers coming in so strong, does it kind of render every other conflict useless? Like now it's just about who wins that, right? Man, the White Walkers vicious. I want to see how they're going to make enough swords <laughs> to kill them all. <laughs> they vicious. They're coming back. The hardest, the best thing about that, when the buddy stood on the little ledge at the port and they all stood back up after they killed them all, like, oh, shit. That was the best shit ever. Ain't no, ain't no other gangster in life ever been that gangster. And <laughs> <laughs> do, do you read... I ain't never seen nobody that hard, man. Ed, do you read the internet theories about the show? Uh and, and like who who is maybe related to whom uh, that might get revealed later on, or do you just kind of let it let it hit you when the episodes come out? No, I just let it. Yeah, I just kind of let it hit me. I just kind of let it hit me. Yeah, and go from there. Well, Ed, we know we know you got to get to you got to get to dinner. So you know the last thing we're gonna do here is on Just Not Sports. We we love what athletes like to talk about and. We know they used to put you guys through the ringer, um, like at the combine with like the Wonderlick test. So we have the just like just not sports wonder like, which is a couple questions about what you like. So in this case, it's a, it's about Game of Thrones, Empire, and let me uh, let me answer that. Let me ask, let me tell you something about that though. Oh, I didn't take the Wonderlick serious. What? I thought the combine was a joke <laughs> well, when I got there. I put I put Abacadabra on it. That's when um you know everything had came out um the movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I didn't take it serious. I probably I probably should have, but I would have never winded up in Baltimore and won the Super Bowl. So Wait, if I was you, if I had a chance to go and do it again, I probably would take it serious. Do you mean the Harry Potter movie? You just put Harry Potter stuff down? Abracadabra? No, 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 no. That was um, ha- it was half baked, man. Oh, okay, half baked. I was like, whoa. Okay, then now I feel really stupid. 
Have you ever taken the Wonderlick on weed? Yeah. (laughs) It's great. They test you, man. They test you, dude. All right. Well, again, a note to NFL rookies. If you don't take it seriously, don't worry. I'm sure you'll have a Hall of Fame career, too. So, Ed, I got five questions for you about your shows. Let's see how good you really are. Just Not Sports Wonder. Like, question number one. All right. Game of Thrones has the characters that you know the, who carry around the dire wolves, you know, like the big wolves, the Jon Snow's family. What, yep. what, what U.S. band is the author of the books a fan of? That that's where they got the name. The, the name comes from the what band? What band? Yeah. Oh man, that's funny. Uh, <laughs> I have no clue, man. It's the um, the Grateful Dead. The Grateful yeah. Dead. The Grateful Dead. There you go. All right. And then the author. I was wrong. I would never know. That was just a. The author, George R.R. R. Martin, is a fan of what NFL teams? Probably the freaking Steelers or the Patriots. <laughs> no. Just the Giants and Jets. Giants and Jets. Look at that weapon. Yeah. Go figure. All right, a couple more. Walking Dead featured a character Cranberry that shares. Can I put can I put Abacadabra on this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. you can. There yeah, you go. You can. The Walk- guy told you he didn't like Tess. The Walking Dead has a character who's named after one of the three co-hosts you're talking to right now. What's the name? Um, Brian. <laughs> no, it's Gareth. <laughs> it's Gareth. It's, it's me, right. Gary, man. Come on. We were both guessing okay. on that one. I don't know, I didn't man. Know either, Ed. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, Last two. Who's Garrett? The son? Is the son Garrett? Uh, he had a brief, like, arc during one year. I had stopped watching by that point, and I, I came back into it. I was like, oh, shit, a Garrett? I'll watch that. If I had if I had the answer to I mean, if I had, like, this was on, like, multiple choice, I would have got this stuff, you know? Yeah, hey, that's okay. Or you know what? You the... just thrown that out there. Last one, final one. I got to get one of these. You got one more? Yeah, I got yeah, one more. I got to get this. Cuba Gooding Jr. was on Empire. And his character's name had a nickname that oh, was man. what? It was the same as what popular shoe company? Oh, man. I know this, too. I can remember seeing him, but he's doing this OJ thing right now. That's right. So. It's all, I have no clue. It's it's also a big jungle <laughs> cat. Reebok. Also a big cat. Is it what? It's it's a shoe, but also a big oh. jungle cat. A big jungle cat. Insane boat sponsor. Yeah, it ain't um Sakonis, is it? <laughs> Puma. Who knows, man? Puma. Puma. That yeah. was his name. Puma. That's his nickname. Puma. And hey, man. All right, you gotta give. We, you, gotta, you gotta give me that one. We'll give you a partial <laughs> yeah, credit. Give you that one. You got that one. We'll give you a partial credit for Abracadabra. <laughs> I think Gary would have been. I would have got Gary. I thought Gary was a gimme. That's why I didn't say his name. Yeah. You know? This might sound like a creepy question, but can we come watch TV with you? Man, you know what, bro? We should schedule that. We all just watch like one of these series or something. Pro- preferably Game of Thrones or Walking Dead, though. I don't, I don't think we all need to be sitting around watching Empire together. <laughs> I agree. Really? Just don't, it just don't go right. Sure. <laughs> all right. Game well, of Thrones cool. We got a game. Of, we got a Game of Thrones party. <laughs> Unless Khaleesi gets that's, naked that's again, a, that's that might a field trip that's gonna happen. Yeah. Yeah, man. 
get in a theater room somewhere, uh, like a like an old ESPN zone that they don't have anymore, and just have some big chairs and just eat some good food and have some drinks and watch the show. I'm in. That'll happen. I'm in. And also, guys, uh, Ed is a big snowboarder, so we could try to roll it into that as he uh, as his snowboarding career takes off when he's not coaching. He, he revealed that tonight too. Yeah, I'm that's my it. thing, man. Well, Ed, thank awesome. you for joining. Hey, Ed, thanks so much for joining us. Have a great dinner. Yes, thank you, man. I appreciate it, man. Good talking to you guys, man. In Game 1 of the Western Conference Finals, Kevin Durant was ice cold for most of the game, but rallied late to lead the Thunder to a big road win. Media called the performance gutsy and gritty, but I had a different term for it. Rerun. Because the idea of Kevin Durant being good at hoops and then sucking at hoops and then being good again was the exact plot of the 2012 movie Thunderstruck. In the movie, KD trades talent with the team manager of a local high school team, who of course becomes a Kevin Durant-style superstar and forces the real Durant to go back and get his talent. Today, we're going to go deep on Durant's acting chops, the art of making a movie out of a sneaker commercial, (laughs) and whether the entire (laughs) thing was a reboot of Teen Wolf without the wolf. So, Adam, is Kevin Durant America's greatest, tallest actor? Well, here's the amazing thing about it. it. This movie proved to me that he is a talented actor because he showed a lot of personality in the role. Uh, not something I've ever seen him do in real life. So I was very impressed that he was able to show a range of emotion being like kind of happy, really happy, and frustrated as opposed to regular life where he's just kind of mopey. <laughs> Gareth, would you, would you, we're going to get into the plot here in a second. Uh, but Gareth, by the way, I do not like Kevin Durant. Or Russell Westbrook. So let's start with that. Just as a, okay, we're, we're, real quick, clarify. We all work in sports. These wow. people are these people are very nice people. When we say we don't like them, you're talking about as a fan, right? Not as a person. We don't we don't look down on these people I, as individuals. I don't like them professionally because I think they are both exceedingly rude to their local media, and I take it personally as someone who really who worked with local media really to try to help them do do their jobs. I really don't like players who are disrespectful for no reason um, to their local media. And Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, maybe because they were brought up in an environment in terms of the team structure that allowed them to do so, but I think they're so disrespectful to their local media. They could say they've been burnt, but there's absolutely no evidence to suggest that. I just really don't like them professionally. So, Gareth, what'd you think of wow. the movie? That is, <laughs> that is like a PFT commenter level strong take. I am yeah. impressed. So. Uh, it stays in. Gareth, real quick, uh, let me, instead of just throwing it to you, let me just give you something to react to. I feel like my this, mouth is a gape. That was awesome. <laughs> uh, Gareth, I felt like this movie was better than The Departed, which won Best Picture. So, you know, agree or disagree. I'm not joking. I feel like this is a better well, movie than The Departed. Well, I did not like The Departed. Maybe it's just <laughs> right, that I think the Departed every is a terrible movie that movie. stars Leonardo DiCaprio, every movie that stars Leonardo DiCaprio would be just a little bit better 
if it starred Matt Damon. So I love that. Uh, That's a great take. Was this movie better than the? Uh, was this movie? Was Kevin Durant's Thunderstruck better than The Departed? Uh, I don't think that it, I didn't love The Departed, but I don't think, and I don't think it was better than The Departed. But Thunderstruck was better than it needed to be. Let me put it that way. I find myself found myself really liking parts of this movie and actually being impressed by how well thought out other smaller parts seem to be. So. Yeah, I mean, look, the movie is is what it is. I mean, it, it's, it's a very simple story you've probably seen before. So there's a kid, actor Taylor Gray, who is the team's manager. Um, he's at a Thunder game and, and sort of miraculously switches powers or talents with Kevin Durant. So now the kid is great at, uh, at sports and uh, Kevin Durant is not. And then uh, he becomes a superstar, strikes up a love interest with a, an actress who we will just call Jessica Alba's niece. <laughs> That's exactly what she looks like. And then uh, eventually Durant's agent, who we'll call fake Kevin Hart, realizes realizes what's happening. And they spend quite, quite some time getting uh, Kevin Durant's talent switched back. I, I don't know. Adam, uh, you, you're looking... You're still looking like agonized over the the meaning of it all. What turned me off about the movie and what was a negative trigger for me, I don't know why movies and TV shows insist on perpetuating this image that agents are around the team all the time. The agent is in the <laughs> locker room with the the agent is in the locker room with the player taking media requests, fielding autograph requests. There, Jerry Maguire maybe a little bit believable since it's only his only client. But what team, Gareth? You worked in professional sports as well. What team would allow their star player's agent to have limitless access to no, their no, team no. facilities? I, I I hear what you're saying. Like the only teams that I can imagine doing it are those teams that you would roll your eyes at. Like, oh, this team, what a mess! Totally poorly run. <laughs> The Dallas no, Cowboys no have an control. environment where that might fly. Any other team in the NFL, who is letting an agent in the locker room to field media requests? It's ridiculous. Well, it's a ridiculous movie device that they, for some reason, people insist on doing this. I don't know why it couldn't be the team PR guy, the equipment guy. There's a million people that's around the athlete that would certainly be more authentic in that role. But no, it has to be the agent. This movie would be 10 times better if they had cast someone better than fake Kevin Hart as the agent. I just, I, I, I honestly just was not buying his performance. It was, uh, cloying and annoying at times and i just couldn't i couldn't get around it and I, it's too bad because it's the type of movie where kevin is not the the star vehicle it's really about the performance of the kid it's about the agent sort of like realizing what's going on and putting them in the right situations it's about jessica alba having a hot niece and so i don't <laughs> think that there's like a huge well, need for i i felt like there was a need for those supporting players to be i thought the kid was fine Good dribbler, by the way. Yeah, good ball. Solid man. dribbler, yeah. yeah. And um, he had a handle, as they said. He did have a handle, and and the dunks with the kid Joseph and Dunk looked real. Stop. They did Hold not. On a let me stop. You let me great. step in here. They did not. Right. Listen, uh, okay. Adam. Yeah. I know how you feel about the movie. I need to know something from you. This occurred. So the kid dunks for the first time. Yeah. You're the only person on just. I don't know if Joe Reed can dunk, but. You're the only person who's confirmed to have dunked on this show. Yeah. As the kid dunked for the first time and looked thrilled, I wrote a note. 
Adam, as the only Just On Sports member to dunk, what was that feeling like the first time you dunked a basketball? Here's what I would say. The first time you dunk a basketball, there, with the exception of maybe Vince Carter, no one's first dunk is really as memorable as that kid's. It's usually one-handed, and I did like, I oh, I got my hand over the rim. Hey, I I kind of I kind of dunked. Now the first time I dunked it, it's almost like the first time you have sex when you're like, I, knew, I did I it right. That counts, thinking, yeah. right? Well, Joe, no, I, you know. yeah. I was amazing. Uh, anyway, so the first time I dunked two-handed, <laughs> are you giving him notes to edit? As well? No, no. Oh. Joe's just laugh, like he's laughing at it, but he's like sucking uh, it. The like first time I dunked two-handed was uh, that felt much cooler. Um, Gareth, I, I want to get serious for a second. Uh, Joe, go ahead. No, I was going to say my only dunking story is in college. I played intramural basketball. I can't dunk and never have been able to. And I w- had a fast break and. Uh, Somehow I got I got a fast break and I had the ball and I could hear the other guys on the other team saying like, oh, please dunk it. They were excited. We were getting blown out. They were like, ooh, this guy's going to dunk it. And I like missed the layup. It was <laughs> like embarrassing. Tall. I could hear really him like, like oh, my gosh, this guy's going to dunk it. Because I was tall and it just uh, didn't happen. It was man. so disappointing. Anyways, back no, to it's like good. My- I mean, Gareth, I want to get serious for a second. Um, <laughs> as... <laughs> Yeah, this is like my Jackie Robinson joke. I don't even know what's gonna happen. As the team, (laughs) as as the the team manager of our eighth grade basketball team, who hung hung around long enough for someone to get kicked off, for someone to get kicked off the team, so you could get elevated to team status. I just want to know: was this an emotional experience watching another team manager? Find his way onto the team. That was, was, dude. Honestly, that would have been a great sandbag job if you'd been able to kick. I've been laughing at it all weekend. I was watching this on the train on my phone, and I was like, Gareth was the team manager who entered the team. This is the Gareth Hughes story. So, Gareth, I have to ask, who did you steal your powers from? I've yes, I I made the seventh yourself. grade team and I made the freshman team, but I did not make the eighth grade team. So I signed up to be the manager until <laughs> Joe, somebody whose last name I forget, got kicked off for being too old. Yeah, too old. No, that's Tommy. Tommy Keith <laughs> Tommy, was like sixteen Tommy in eighth grade. Keith, too old. <laughs> he to got play. kicked off. Gareth, wait, Gareth, I want to unpack best. this a little bit. When you became <laughs> when you became the manager of the team, did you think Okay, now there's a chance. <laughs> like I'm in the sphere. Or did you think I'm just gonna support the team? Uh oh no, it was definitely with an <laughs> eye towards getting on the team. Let's not let's not kid ourselves with that. Did I'd you, been on the team the year before. Had you had you shaken hands in the tunnel with like Gary Trent or Nick Van Exel, <laughs> Ohio basketball <laughs> yeah, legends yeah. who didn't pan out in the pros, is that what happened to their careers? Nick Van Exel didn't pan out. Nick Van Exel panned out. Nick he was Van great. He shoved, he shoved a ref in the NBA and got like thrown out of the league, right? Or not? Yeah, yeah like, but he had a good. He had a pretty good run. I don't know. He if won talk, championships. If you, talk, if you talk to Shaq, like Shaq will tell you, Nick Van Exel was one of the his favorite players he ever played with. Let's talk about that power switch. Um, it Man, where was been, that when I was in eighth it, grade? Yeah, right. I mean, it should have been they got struck by lightning, right? It's a movie called Thunderstruck. 
Yeah, the Oklahoma really, City Thunder. He hits. He hits the kid. Hits the, the the bison mask out of the thunder in the head. Yeah, with the ball, and then like through static cling or something switches switches powers. It should have. It should have been a lightning strike or something. Can we right? set this up? A yeah, little yeah, more so. Uh, so th- this uh, fictional version of Gareth gets the chance <laughs> to gets a chance to sh- he is let's just call him movie he's Gareth. depressed because movie he's, Gareth is good yeah, yeah he's yeah. depressed because he's a terrible athlete and somehow his uh the bullies at school get a hold of a, his video of him being terrible at basketball they put it on the cafeteria tv which of course that happens all the time but because kids are dicks. Um, and then the kid kid <laughs> who is depressed, his dad decides to take him to the Thunder game. And, of course, he gets called, as every character in every movie does, to go shoot the uh, half-court shot. He, of course, predictably misses. He hits the mask. Uh, wait, hold on. Could I, could I step in here? Yes. I did actually get called out of the stands to shoot the half-court shot at a Butler basketball game. In Indianapolis, when I was in eighth grade, ironically, it was that exact year uh, that I did not make the team, and what? I was supposed to shoot a layup. What? I was supposed Man. to shoot. Hold on. What? I was supposed to shoot a layup, a free throw, a three, and then a half court shot, and I only made the first two. I did not get past the three pointer. It's like so. You're saying in eighth grade, the year you were the team manager, you also got pulled into half court to take a shot, missed the shot, and then somehow miraculously made the team. This is the Gareth Hughes story, ladies and gentlemen. Mostly, I'm just worried. Should I sue the writers of the? Like, should I sue Kevin Durant for stealing this idea? I mean, let's get that lawsuit done now. (laughs) Clearly, (laughs) there are some eerie similarities with the life that is yours. I'm sorry. I don't re- well, remember what I was so saying. So if, if I was going to sue if I was going to sue Kevin Durant, I would need a sidekick. And that's where Mitch comes in. I don't think any discussion of this movie is complete without discussion discussing Brian's sidekick Mitch. Yeah. <laughs> that collection of cardigans was great. I really want to give a shout out to the wardrobe department for thinking through his wardrobe. And really nerding him up with the rest of the World of Warcraft dudes. I will help you sue Kevin Durant because you know how I feel about him. I'll sue him for any reason. I mean, okay, Mitch <laughs> Mitch the friend was fine. I thought he was a, a ripoff of Styles, the friend from Teen Wolf, who also made t-shirts for Scott in Teen Wolf. And in this movie, it's for whoever the kid was named. Th- th- this entire movie is Teen Wolf, only Wait. without the wolf. Wait, it's what about a lot of movies? What about I will like read Mike. them to you now? Okay, yeah, go thank ahead. You go, Jerry Maguire. It's my life, guys. Wait, Excuse wait, me. Wait, it's my life. This list. Wait, Jerry, what part of Jerry Maguire is the fake power? agent stuff? The agent hanging around. So you're saying because Jerry Maguire was agent that resembles Kevin Durant switching bodies with this kid movie? No, no, no. He's, no, this so, is, he's taking elements from put all, all these. these put movies. all these in a stew, and when you thank take you. it, when you take a bite, you're going to taste thunderstruck. Jerry right, Maguire, <laughs> Teen Wolf. Almost Famous, Rookie of the Year, Varsity Blues. Gareth Hughes. Like Mike, (laughs) 21 Jump Street, Hoosiers, and The Shining. The Shining. Yes, I was terrified throughout, and I couldn't wait for it to be over. (laughs) (laughs) Look, this movie, I'm not joking, it was better than The Departed. It was like better, it was just a better movie than The Departed. 
the power switch needed needed work. I think Durant was fine. I thought his acting was good. We're gonna well, talk. I, I did too, actually. I, in I all think fairness, he, was, he did a good. We job. should give him credit for doing this movie. I can't believe he did a movie like this that involves. He's getting ripped by the NBA guys. He's looking like an idiot. Candace Parker's ripping him to his face. Like I give him credit for doing this movie because I don't. I don't know. <laughs> Adam, surprise! Hardcore surprise. trolling tonight. I don't. Here's the thing. This again goes back to the building the brand of Kevin Durant. Now, Kevin Durant to reach children could have done a children's book. Don't you build brands an animated, for a living? Could have done an animated series, but decided to make this decent but unnecessary film in order to reach a target demographic, which is the 12 and under loser like Gareth. Look, I want to <laughs> talk about. I, Sorry, I, I really believe I, I really believe we have to here. give and I we have to give credit to Kevin Durant for getting out there and providing a a competent acting performance. He is a at this time 2012 I believe he was coming off his MVP season. He is a top 1 or 2 NBA player in the world and he's acting. Yeah, okay, Adam You've got an opinion about this movie. Uh, so this movie's racist. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? Well, I'll tell you why. It really struck me, and it actually did offend me a little bit towards the end. So, of course, as we knew this would play out, Kid gets the powers, and he is lighting it up in high school. I believe 38.8 points per game was the stat used uh, as per game average. That is outstanding. Meanwhile, Kevin Durant can't literally can't make a shot, can't make a layup. Kevin Durant, with the best coaching resources in the world and all the time in the world, can't seem to get his game back. However, inevitably, as we knew would happen, they switch powers back because Kevin Durant needs the, the skills back for the playoffs. However, interestingly enough, the white kid becomes a scrappy, get after it, play defense, and is dishing passes like Magic He's Johnson. He's baby. Dishing passes like Magic Johnson, and at the end, in his reunion with Kevin Durant, is knocking down jumpers, which goes to tell you, if you are a white player... You, through hard work and the use of your brain, you can succeed at almost anything. If you're Kevin Durant, once your magic powers are gone, even though you're tall and black, you're just shit out of luck. <laughs> I, yeah, they, I mean, Kevin Durant is playing the part of the magical black man in this movie. He is the magical so, Negro yeah. in this movie. That is the, yep, the yep. movie device. I uh, That's a really interesting take I had not thought about. Of course <laughs> Clearly, you inherently racist, racist thoughts of my Of course you head. haven't, man of privilege. I will say this, though, at the end. <laughs> one reason they won the game, first of all, I did not care at all about that high school team. As soon as the Kevin Durant's team made the playoffs, I was like, oh, okay, movie's over. And then I was like, wait, there's 20 more minutes left? Oh, the high school kid, yeah. So there's a dude on his team who like threw down like 14 monster dunks the in black that guy. Final. Yeah, a black dude Who barely team didn't have discovered. his magical powers stolen. I was literally watching it on my phone on the train, and I was like, oh, Kevin Durant suited up for this team, and I had to re rewind it. And be like, where did this kid come from? Oh, they were there the whole movie as supporting cast. Uh, my favorite scene. Yeah, because Connor they, they probably had to also steal the show. The catering line. Yeah, yeah. Connor was the rich kid. My favorite scene is Connor 
as as you know, uh, uh, movie Gareth is dribbling in circles around the <laughs> opponents. Connor's going. What's he doing? What's he doing? He's like screaming it like Keanu Reeves in Point Break, like the same line, like over and over again. And I was just like, why did they think this was good? I mean, all this movie needed was more Kevin Durant and more racism. In conclusion, this movie was average. Not great. Not bad. Just kind of there. Adam, I will say (laughs) the agent tries to trade the powers back by tasing the kid. <laughs> he did. Totally inappropriate. He rubbed oh, like, also I another don't wanna, I don't want to see this. Like he's going to he's going to kill this kid. He also rubbed him a, uh, a rabbit foot and uttered something that was uh, I don't I don't know if it was supposed to be Swahili but of course racist again. Yeah, um <clears throat> Okay, well, that's Magical Negro Powers. I liked it. Thought it was better than The Departed. Jesse I thought, Jackson is looking into this movie. I thought my hot take of it was better than The Departed was going to be the worst on this podcast, but uh, thank you for trumping me. Gareth, any final thoughts on the movie? I'll give you last take. Uh, I'd just like to point out a few Easter eggs. There's, like, there's some good references in there to Almost Famous. Hoosier's got a big shout-out. And I loved the joke at the beginning where they were going to a girl... Stacy King's party. So that made me laugh. Oh, good one. I don't get it. Stacy oh, King. Stacy King, the uh basketball player. Mm-hmm. Very good. Ah. Yeah. And it's- I believe he played at Oklahoma, by the way. Oh, oh. it's Easter eggs like this is the reason why the movie got a 71% audience score rating and a 20% Rotten Tomatoes critics rating. Director director Thunderstruck directed Big Mama's House too. So how racist could he be? Well, one thing, you know what else we didn't talk about at all? Uh, Jim Belushi takes this role. I'm not quite sure why, but maybe he's a big Thunder fan. And then his son, because he likes money. You Jim know who Belushi I likes stole money. The movie, his son, Rob Belushi, the assistant coach. He That's his son. That's his son. Really? Yeah. yeah. Huh. I know because he did the Gatorade sweat it to get it ads and they were like hey uh you want to offer rob belushi up to any media nope you should have (laughs) you blew it and with that we're gonna call it a day on thunderstruck uh go check it out you can rent it on itunes i did twice don't tell my wife i fell asleep the first time i had to rebuy it the next day And uh, go check it out. The movie's called, if you search it on iTunes, it's called Thunderstruck colon The Gareth Hughes Story. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Oh, Joe. That was a lot of fun. Always good to relive where we've been on Just Not Sports. Just a beautiful trip down memory lane. Episode two feels like forever ago. In fact, it was so long ago, Joe Reed was not even involved episode two, were you? I was. Did, but did you edit the first two episodes? Yeah, you did. Yeah, I did. So you, I you're, did. A fa- you're a charter member, a founding member of Just Not Sports. I was there <laughs> in the wings. You were there from the beginning. Um, well, that's about it. I mean, I would just say, what do, what do I normally say here? Shout Subscri- out. Subscribe, rate, and review us Ooh, yeah. on iTunes. Leave some comments, people. People, leave comments, positive comments, ratings. Hit us up on Twitter, at Just Not Sports. At Just Not Sports. Find us on Instagram, which we need to post a lot more of. Joe, maybe that needs to be your job. We're doing a trip to New York. We could That could be a, a Snapchat, Instagram opportunity. 
That's right. We are on Snapchat. We haven't, just we haven't really, field we haven't really been using it. Um, and uh, and just otherwise, let's do some shout outs. I'll shout out. Uh, I'll shout out Cleo Sports bringing us out there and One Tree Forest Films reuniting uh, the folks from our More Than Mean project. I'll shout out Gareth and Adam. Gonna see you guys pretty soon. I will uh, shout out Rana Komar, my boss, who's giving me some time off work, which I desperately need. Oh yeah. And uh, let's shout out Kyle Brasky. Who's uh, who's working on some imagery for us for the Twitter feed? Ooh, I'm excited to see it. <laughs> you should be, Joe. You got any shoutouts? I'm gonna just shout out our founding fathers. Fourth of July, Independence. <laughs> they met for the show. You mean like me? Thanks, oh yeah, bro. sure. <laughs> also, John Cena, man. Shout out to John Cena. <laughs> Why for for his rap album or for Trainwreck? No, did you see the uh, the uh, Ad Council video that's going around? Mm-mm. It's all about what makes America great. And it's hosted by John Cena? It's like a three-minute walk and talk about how badass America is. Amazing. I had and not heard about this. Yeah. So shout out to America. That's all I got to say. I had a great fourth. Brad, we're going to have a great week after what was maybe a crummy fourth for you. But we'll make it right. Excellent. And in the immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal, booty rappers. Stay booty. Stay booty. Please, please booty rappers out there. If you do nothing else, please stay booty. I'm so tired. Can you please stay booty? Everybody. Booty. Come on. Please stay. I need this. Booty.